Welcome to the Skyline SIB podcast. We're so grateful that you're taking time to tune in from your busy schedule. We hope that this message encourages and inspires you wherever you are listening from. Now, here is an inspiring message by Pastor Dr. Philip Lin. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Let me start with the year 1927. There was a man called John Sung who arrived back in China from America with a coveted PhD degree in chemistry. Uh, John Sung had been soundly converted while he was in America. God had taken such a great hold of him that he began to be to preach while he was in the United States, and he had read through the Bible something like 40 times. Now, as the ship approached Shanghai Harbor, John Sung was struggling with the call of God upon his life. And as Shanghai appeared on the horizon, he opened the portholes and threw all his undergraduate degrees, including his bachelor's as well as his master's degree, into the sea. He kept his PhD, just for his father to see, so that his father would be convinced that he actually finished his doctorate. When he arrived in Shanghai, the University of Beijing offered him a post, a senior post as a lecturer in chemistry. He turned his back to a, a, star, a starry academic career and, and chose to go down the road of being an evangelist, living by faith. He became perhaps China's greatest evangelist in the last century. It is said that over 100,000 people were converted under the ministry of John Sung, and thousands in both Malaysia and Singapore, in towns like Setiawan, Cebu, and in parts of Singapore, the Methodist churches grew as a result of the ministry of John Sung. He became God's flame for revival in the Far East. John Sung's single-minded focus is reflected in the credo of the Apostle Paul when he wrote in Philippians chapter 4, verses 13 to 14, This one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This single-mindedness to turn away from a starry academic career that would have secured his future and to put his hand, his life in the hands of God by faith. The world would call this madness. And the response to the world would be very much like the response of King Agrippa to the Apostle Paul in Acts 26 verse 24. When the world would say to Acts like this, You are mad. Much learning has made you mad. My message today, this morning, is entitled, This One Thing I Do. Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 to 14. Today, we come to the end of our This One Thing series. We have had five This One Thing, and today, this is the last of the five This One Thing. I trust that you've been blessed by these five one things. Can somebody say amen to that? It's been a great, great journey for us in this one thing. Now, when we talk about this one thing, often people think this is a very narrow thing because in the world today, we have so many options. We are spoiled for choices. Choices about movies we watch, holiday destinations, you know, when, before COVID, uh, colors of the dresses we wear, clothes, you know, gadgets, handphones, uh, food we eat. We are just spoiled for choices. But today, I want to say this one thing. When we learn and understand the one thing God wants for us in our lives, when we understand the one thing singularly we need to put our focus and our minds and the purpose of our life on, 
everything else, the many, many choices, wonderful as they are, will never cloud our journey so that we finish well. Somebody say amen to that. Now, the Apostle Paul, when he speaks about one thing, I can tell you he doesn't just mean one thing. He means more than one thing. Why is that? Because the Apostle Paul was converted at the age of, in his 30s, and he lived for another 30 years. And it's as though that he discovered Jesus late in his life. And the remaining 30 years of his life, he did everything in double measure. He packed everything in, in the remaining 30 years of his life. You look at his life, and you will find out that he actually established at least 20 churches in two continents and wrote nearly 30% of the New Testament. Somebody say, oh, wow, that's incredible. And on top of that, you know, when he writes the epistles, if you read the epistles of Paul in the New Testament, you know, the sentences are very lengthy. It's as though, you know, he's breathless trying to tell the truth about Jesus in, 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 in the New Testament, in his epistles. In fact, Paul is singularly responsible for the longest sentence in the original Greek in the New Testament. And in fact, in the whole Bible, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 to 14, you know, although the English Bible is broken down with three or four sentences, in the original Greek, it was one sentence. You try even to read the four sentences now, the, the 13 sentences now, you will actually go breathless. You can't read it in one breath. And don't believe Paul when he says, finally, brethren. When it comes to the end of his epistle, he says, finally, brethren, uh, in, in the epistle of Philippians. And he goes on for another 16 verses and 300 words after finally, brethren. So when Paul says one thing, I can tell you this, guys, expect it. He doesn't mean one thing. He, he actually means more than one thing. Philippians 4 again, 13 to 14, this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. Number one, straining forward to what lies ahead. Number two, I press on towards the goal of the price of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Number three, the one thing is actually three things. Forgetting the past, forging to the future, and focusing on the price. Let's talk about forgetting the past. I don't know about your memory these days, but sometimes I find that I forget things very easily. And I need either, you know, my personal assistant or I need uh, my wife to remind me. I need my Google calendar to remind me. Sometimes I've even forgotten what I said yesterday. It reminds me of a story of uh, all these senior citizens in an old folks home. And one of these older retirees suddenly fancied one of these uh, old ladies there and he went up to her one day because he was you know he really liked her and he said to her will you marry me and she was so excited she said yes yes of course i'll marry you and he, they were both so excited the next day the old man had forgotten who he had asked to marry him so he went around asking all the ladies in the home did i did i propose to you yesterday each one said no 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 he just went around and he finally came to the lady and the lady said yes so it was you that proposed to me. I knew somebody had proposed to me, but I'd forgotten whom. She was so excited. So it was you. She said, yes, it was me. But the man said, but what I'd really like to know is, did you say yes or did you say no? And she said, you know what? 
I've forgotten. Why did you get on your knees and propose one more time? And we'll see how it goes. Now, I hope you never get into a situation like that. This is absent-mindedness. This is senile dementia. This is this forgetfulness. When Paul says forgetting the past, he doesn't mean absent-mindedness. Oh, I forgot. He means deliberately, willfully forgetting the past. Choosing to forget the past. And you must understand why Paul says this. Because Paul had accolades behind him. He had status, he had influence, he had respect, he had reputation. Why? Because of his academic and intellectual credentials. He was schooled in the rabbinical school of Gamaliel. Now, you must understand there were many Jewish rabbinical schools there. But the, but the Harvard and Princeton, the Oxbridge of the rabbinical schools was Gamaliel. So if, if you went to a university under Gamaliel, you went to the top rabbinical school in the land, you will get double, triple time kind of respect. And Paul said, you know what? All these things I put behind me. And for a rabbi, a Jewish rabbi, understanding the law perfectly was something very important. Not only understand the law, but keeping the law was very important. He kept it perfectly. And finding righteousness under the law was an astounding thing that every rabbi aspired to. So in terms of accolades, in terms of respect, reputation, and influence, he had everything. Yet he said, I count these things as refuse, as dung, as rubbish, compared to the surpassing worth of Christ, knowing Christ Jesus. Forgetting the past means forgetting the things that we think have made us today. Oh, we have a lot of money. God says, forget even that. Not that you're not grateful for that, but don't don't leverage your existence, the purpose of your life on these things. Oh, I got a ton sweet ship. You know, don't leverage your life on that. Oh, I got this credential or that credential, this qualification. I know so and so. I've got this reputation in town. Forgetting the past, even all your achievements, in as much as by comparison with Christ, His call upon your life and who He is to you, count them as refuse. Let me tell you a story that takes you back to the Commonwealth Games in 1954, which was held in Vancouver. The great event for that year was the Dream Mile. It was called by the press the race of the century because it would pit two of the fastest men over the mile against each other in the Commonwealth Games in 1954. And they were Roger Bannister of Britain and John Landy of Australia. Roger Bannister had broken the first man to break the mile under four minutes. He ran the mile in May in three minutes, 59.4 seconds in the UK. A month after that, John Landy of Australia broke that record and ran it in three minutes, 58 seconds flat. These two men had never raced against each other. So three, four months later, they now came together to race against each other at the Commonwealth Games in Vancouver in 1954. Landy was the favorite he led from the start. And when they came to the final bend, Landy was a few meters ahead of Bannister as they began to sprint. Then he heard the sprinting footsteps of Bannister behind him. And at that point in time, Landy looked over his left shoulder. You can see it in the picture. And at that point, Bannister passed him on the right and then sprinted down the straight and won the dream mile. John, that event was actually captured by a, a bronze sculpture that now sits in Vancouver Park today. This is, if you ever go to Vancouver, go to Vancouver Park and look at this 
famous uh, bronze sculpture of John Landy being passed by Roger Bannister as he looked behind on his left-hand side. Landy had this to say. He said, you know, the Bible tells us that Lot's wife was turned into a pillar of salt for looking back. He said, I'm the only human being in history that's turned into a pillar of bronze for looking back. But John Landy never let this failure get to him. Because when failures like that get to us, it traps us. Landy never looked back on some of his, even his own achievements. I'm reminded of people who never look back at their past achievements. I'm reminded of people like C.T. Studd, who, 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 who was a Cambridge University cricketer and played cricket for England, who came from a very rich family, who could have lived in England all his life in comfort and become a lord at the end of his days in terms of you know, sitting in, in the House of Lords in, in, in Britain. But he gave it all up to become a missionary, initially to China and then in Africa. I think of a man called Henry Martin, who graduated top of his class in mathematics in Cambridge University and was offered a professorship and fellowship of St. John's College, Cambridge. And he took up the, the fellowship. As soon as he took it, God gave him a conviction to go uh, to India as a missionary. So he went to India as a missionary and eventually to Persia, now Iran. And he translated the New Testament into Urdu and Farsi. Henry Martin. I think of a man like Martin Lloyd-Jones, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was assistant to Lord Horder, the Queen's physician in Harley Street, destined for a lucrative private practice at the top echelons of the medical world in Britain. But he gave that all up, fame and fortune, to become a no-name small-town preacher in the village town of Aberavon in Wales. Eventually, are coming back to London as a senior minister of Westminster Chapel. It is people like that. Lloyd Jones, I had the privilege of hearing him in his old age uh, when I was a student uh, in the UK. He is one of the persons who inspired my life so that I would give my life to preaching the Word of God. Another person who did that was my spiritual mentor in the UK, Dr. Bill Lees, who was a uh, and destined for the academic medicine, a graduated uh, somewhere towards the top of his class, came to Borneo, went to Tenam and Maligan area, and translated the New Testament into Tagal together with his wife. I met him when he had gone back uh, to the UK, and he was one of the inspirations of why I eventually landed up in Borneo and in KK and in, in other towns in KK. And, and this is where God impacted my life through these men. These men forgot the past, forgot their achievements in order to fulfill God's calling for them in the future. There are three lessons in forgetting the past. Firstly, it's the lesson of dependence upon God. You know, when these people left their shores of familiarity and, and, and name and, and, and their riches, many of them, they put themselves totally in God's hand. They depended upon God. You know, when we, when we, we, we're learning from them. When Pastor Nancy and I, we came to, to Sabah many, many, many years ago. Now, 38 years ago now, I think. We, we had nobody here. We didn't know anybody here. We just came back by conviction. And uh, we had to learn on dependence. It doesn't matter your achievements, where you came from, what university, nobody cares. It is putting yourself in God's hands. And we live in a house that was given to us for many, many months, up on a hill on its own, uh, full of cockroaches, full of lizards, full of scorpions and centipedes and snakes. You know, I don't know how we lived in that house, 
But some of the guests who visited us and lived and stayed with us one night, they got bitten by centipedes uh, in that house that we lived in. We were so sorry for some of our guests, but, but God kept us. We had to learn dependence. We had to learn humility. Because it doesn't matter what you've done or what, what your accolades are, you have to learn to know that you are a nobody. And God uses nobody. Can somebody say amen? When we are nobodies, God uses us. Can somebody say amen? He used Moses when he became a nobody. He used Joseph when he was a nobody. And when we are nobodies, God can use us. In fact, we had to learn lessons of humility because when Nancy's aunt, who was a Puan Sri, came and stayed with us, wanted to stay with us for a month, you know, uh, to look after us and cook for us. After two days, uh, she made some excuse and she left. Because why? We didn't have enough pots and pans. We had to borrow pots and pans and crockery from people. We didn't have anything much. We had to learn lessons of humility. We had to learn lessons of faithfulness. Faithfulness is about God's faithfulness. Somebody say amen. It's God's faithfulness above all else. You have to learn. So that in the midst of challenges and pain, you still believe God is faithful and will see you through, that God has a purpose for this. And so much so that when, when uh, you know, uh, we were offered, we were offered to go elsewhere, either to KL or to Hong Kong or to Singapore, because there were better salaries there and then they rang us up. We had to trust God that this is where God had called us to be and we had to learn faithfulness during that time. See, these lessons of dependence, of humility and faithfulness are lessons of submission. Forgetting the past is about learning the lesson of surrender to God. It's learning the lesson of submission. And this is the first thing that Apostle Paul did. He submitted to the Lordship of Christ. And we ourselves, guys, whether we're young or old, I don't care how long we've lived, when we learn the lesson of submission, when we submit ourselves and surrender ourselves to God, freedom comes in. We have many choices, and many of those choices make us feel we are entitled. There's an entitlement atmosphere around there. But when we submit, one thing becomes clear. The one things in our lives become clear. They were like a beer by beacon that will guide us so that we finish well. So forgetting the past is learning the lessons of submission. What about the second part of the one thing? Forging to the future. But one thing I do, the Apostle Paul said, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. You know the word straining forward in Greek is the word, you know, pressing forward with every fiber, every muscle, every sinew and strength in your body. It's like Usain Bolt breasting the tape in the 100 meters. Every bit of his being and his physical being, mental being just strains towards the tape. He throws it across the finishing line. And that is the word. One thing I do, forgetting what lies ahead, I strain forward to what lies ahead. What lies behind, I strain forward to what lies ahead. It is that throwing yourself across the line and holding on when things get bad. I remember the poem of Rudyard Kipling, uh, who was a poet laureate for, for the UK, who was a Nobel Prize winner for literature. He wrote a poem called If. He said, if you can make one heap of all your winnings and lose it all in one turn of pitch and toss and, 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 uh, and start again at your beginning and never breathe a word about your loss, if you can force your heart and nerve and sinew to serve your turn long after they're gone and so hold on, when there's nothing in you except the will that says to them, hold on. Forging towards the future 
is actually straining with every fiber, every conviction that you have, physically and mentally. You see, if the past holds us back, we can never strain forward. If the past pulls us, we can never strain. Now, the Apostle Paul, when he was converted, he had a lot of things to be regretful about in his past. You know, the Apostle Paul, before his conversion, he was the Darth Vader of the Christian community. You know what? He would be the incarcerator of Christians. He had an international ministry to cross the borders internationally to round up Christians in a place of Jewish Christians in a place of worship. He would jail them. He would beat them. He would torture them. He would actually even process their death. He was either responsible directly or indirectly for killing many of them. Many of you know that he consented to the killing and the stoning of one of the disciples called Stephen. So when he came to the Lord, he had a lot of regrets in his heart because the Apostle Paul was the New Testament first century version of the modern day religious terrorist. That's what he was. So when he came to know Jesus, all that violent, that burns, uh, violent past, that bitterness, that anger, that unforgiveness, that hatred, it melted away. He had so much to be regretful about. But you know what? He forgot the past. See, forgetting the past is not just about forgetting our achievements, all the good things that make us who we are, our pride, you know, and, and, and lift up our status. It's also forgetting, forgetting our failures, the things that come back and haunt us again and again and again. Have you had things that pull you down? Every time you try to search forward, these things from the past come and haunt you. Words from your parents, words from your teachers, failures in your life, you know, put downs from your friends or colleagues at work, and you feel so small. Every time you think people, is, people are picking on you, and you, you just shrink. Because every time you want to search forward to do something, even now you're saved and you want to do something for God, these things from the past pull you, and they trap you. They're like a chain link fence that stops you from going forward. Let me tell you a story about my past. I don't know how many of you have ever been bitten by dogs before. I've been bitten by dogs at least three times uh, when I was a kid. You know, and one time I was chased by a big English uh, you know, sheepdog that, that was, uh, belonged to my neighbor. I was cycling past as a little boy. And he chased after me. I crashed down. I fell off the bike. And he was coming to, to savage me. And I think I would have been savage. I was absolutely terrified. The gardener next door saved me. And so I had a fear of dogs when I grew up, bitten many, many times. Until one day, I began to fight against my fear. And the biggest way of fighting my fear was to begin to learn to pat a dog. First thing, pat a dog. You know, a, a friendly dog, just pat. Because I'm always afraid that when I put my hand, it's going to stab me. But patting that dog on the head eventually helped me to overcome my fear. And then stroking the dog. And eventually, I began to face dogs that, began, that, that, that came after me. You know, eventually when they barked after me, I would stare them down. I would not budge. and I would, not, I would stare them down. And so eventually I learned this, to stare them down and begin to assert my authority in Christ because we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Can somebody say amen? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Somebody say amen. Some of you, you've got fear of cockroaches, fear of snakes, fear of lizards, fear of dogs. Hey, 
stand your ground in Jesus' name. I tell you this story because in this past three, four months, during the MCO, I've had to go running, you know, in the Taman near my house. Can't go to the gym, can't go to Bukit Padang and places like that. I go running and I run up a hill near my house, walk and run up a hill near my house. Um, and uh, that hill, you know, has, is filled with gangsters. And this is what the gangsters look like, this pack of dogs. There are about 10 of them. They guard that hill at the bottom of the hill. You got to pass them. You know, so when I first, when the first morning when I tried, when I tried to walk past them, you know, just walk past them, they immediately sprang into action and they came charging at me, barking, and there was a lead dog, they came snapping. They came snapping. I was trying to walk past it and try to jog past it. It was snapping at my heels. And all the dogs were grating braver and braver and coming towards me and surrounding me. I turned and faced the lead dog, eyeball to eyeball, stamped my foot, and said, get out! And shouted like that. Sorry, guys, if that broke your eardrums, okay? And it turned with its tail behind its, it, it, between its legs. And then all the rest of the dogs in the pack just followed. From that day onwards, they left me alone. Now I'm still running and up and down the hill. Now when I get there and they, they see me, they're like, oh, forget it, just lie down. They just, they just leave me alone now. They don't even bat an eyelid. They don't even look up. Why? Because they're subdued. God says, if you don't let the fear of the past take hold of you, you'll be able to strain forward. I will give you the boldness and the courage and the faith to overcome your past. Can somebody say amen? Look at Jesus, you know, when you run the 100 meters, look at Jesus. He's at the end of the race. Whatever hindrances, he will give you the power. He will give you the strength and the faith to see you through, to break it in Jesus' name. Can somebody say it? Amen. And so let me come back to the story of John Landy. After John Landy's catastrophic failure at the 1954 Vancouver Commonwealth Games, he continued to train. Roger Bannister, by that time, had uh, you know, continued his medical studies. He eventually became a very famous doctor. But uh, John Landy continued to train for the Olympic Games in 1956. And, uh, and that was going to be held in Melbourne, Australia. Remember, Landy is Australian. A few months before the Olympic Games in Melbourne, just a couple of months, Landy was running in an international race in Melbourne, a 1,500-meter race. And in that race, Ron Clark, the American world junior champion in 1500 meters fell, tripped and fell. And all the runners continued to run except one. John Landy stopped, helped Ron Clark up, made sure he was okay. And when Ron Clark thanked him and started running, then only Landy started running. To 1500 meters runners, this is an absolute foolish thing to do in an international competition that will decide whether you have a place. In the, in the Olympic Games to represent your country. It was, a, it was a foolish thing to do. It was the stupidest thing to do. But Landy did that. He helped Ron Clark up. And then an amazing thing happened. Landy, being the strong runner that he was, not only made a caught up with his competitors who were 50 meters ahead, but eventually over the two laps that followed, overtook them and won that race. The whole of the stadium just erupted in, in a in, in applause. They were just astounded, both by the courage of this man and by his sportsmanship, his incredible generous heart. And for that, the Australians built a sculpture that sits in Melbourne Park today. If you go there, you go to Melbourne Park, you will see that the bronze sculpture of John Landy helping up Ron Clark. 
Just think, you go to Vancouver, you see Landy's is failure. You go to Melbourne today, you will see the great thing that Landy did. Landy eventually won the bronze medal in the Olympic Games in the Melbourne, and eventually, just a few years ago, just about 10 years ago, 15 years ago, he became the 26th governor of the state of Victoria in Australia. He succeeded beyond his wildest dreams because he put his past behind him. And therefore, he was able to forge towards the future. What was the Apostle Paul straining towards in the present for the future? We are called to do the same thing. Don't waste your life in the present. Strain in the present for the future. Acts 20, 24, the Apostle Paul said this, I do not count my life dear to myself, but that I may finish my race and the ministry which I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. That is what he's straining in the present and maximizing in the present towards that future, to testify to the gospel. Every fiber in his body is towards the gospel of the grace of God. You see, if we truly lived lives that are focused on the future today, we would be sharing the gospel wherever we go. That's the greatest thing we can do, friends. What is the greatest thing you can give your family? The gospel. What's the greatest thing you can give your friends and your colleagues at work? The gospel. What's the greatest thing you can give your clients and your customers and your patients? The gospel. This is the one thing. If we are focused on the future today, we will be sharing the gospel wherever we go. We will be living the gospel in our families. We will be opening dialogue on the gospel with our friends. We will be inviting the world and strangers we don't know to discover the wonderful love and the glory and the grace and the freedom God brings in Christ Jesus. Why? Because we will be living to please and glorify the audience of one. See, one thing is about living to glorify and please the audience of one. Somebody say one. One. That one. Who are you pleasing? Who are you glorifying? Yourself? Your reputation? Here, live it. Be free from all that. Live to please and glorify the audience of one. So forgetting the past is about submission, but forging to the future is about ambition. The ambition to make Jesus great. The ambition to share the gospel. You know, the third part of the one thing is focusing on the prize. Paul says these words. He says, I press on. Somebody say, press on. Press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I press on. You see, forgetting the past is about submission. Forging to the future is about ambition. Then focusing on the prize is about determination. Determination. See, the word in Greek, I press on, means I pursue relentlessly as a hunter does. Have you ever been hunting before? My father was a big game hunter. One of the things that he loved hunting was wild boars. Every weekend, that's, he went hunting wild boars. You know, my father came to know the Lord only much later in his life. Why? Because every Sunday, he was never in the house. He was hunting wild boars in the jungle. And sometimes, he would bring me on some of these hunts. I would follow him on these wild boars. Now, in, that was in West Malaysia. In West Malaysia, they hunt wild boar the really hard way. Because the wild boars are found in hills. They're not found in oil palm plantation in those days. In those days, there was not much oil palm plantation. So it was all in the hills, in the jungle. So they sent the pack of dogs in to sniff out the wild boars and chase the herd of wild boars out. 
And these guys would follow the dogs relentlessly because the dogs were following the wild boars relentlessly. Relentless pursuit. And eventually, they would, con they would corner the wild boars and then place themselves at strategic spots. And when the wild boars would try to escape, they would come within gunshot sight and range and bang. That was the end of the wild boar. My dad almost never came back without a wild boar. It was a relentless pursuit that always enabled him to seize his prize. When Paul says, I, I you know, push forward, I, I throw everything that I have forward. I focus on the prize, on the goal of the prize of the upward call of God. He was thinking of the same relentless way. You know how when people run the 1,500 meters, then at some point, every fiber in your body is saying, give up, give up, don't do anymore. But you keep pushing through the pain. For what? For the gold medal in the Olympic Games or the silver or the bronze. But in the ancient days, they didn't give medals. They gave laurels. Laurels made out of fig leaves like a crown and they place it on your head. Now the difference between the award-winning ceremony in the ancient Olympics and the award-winning ceremonies today is quite different. Today, when you win a gold medal, they put you on a rostrum, they play the national anthem, they don't allow you to say anything, nobody says anything, they just announce that you are a you know, gold medalist and what country. But in the old days, if you won an event, the whole stadium is surrounded, everybody's there, and then before they present you with that winning laurel, they don't only tell you your name and what's the event, they tell everybody your family background. Who is your family? The son of so and so. You know, who, is a, who lives where and where? And what does a father do? They tell about a family and how many siblings he has. Then they tell about all your past achievements. What you have done, what you've done, and this and that. Then they tell you about your athletic achievements. They tell everybody. And then they tell everybody about what you have won today. And then when the emperor calls your name, as you come forward, everybody bursts out in rapturous applause. And Paul says, this is exactly what happened in heaven. He wants you to get a picture. When Jesus calls your name, he, he tells you uh, everyone about the past. He tells all the angels and angelic hosts. He tells how you lived your life. He tells, you know, who, who, which, who, which part of what family you were with. He tells, you know, which, your, your spiritual family on earth. He tells about what you've contributed, what you've done. And as you come forward, some of those things you've even forgotten. As you come forward and he gives you the crown of righteousness, Paul says, the crown of righteousness, the whole of heaven erupts. In a standing ovation and jubilation, and people are shouting and, and cheering wildly. Paul says, I press on for the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The upward call of God. You know, many years ago when Paul was, was a persecutor of the church, 30 years before, he heard a voice from heaven saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It was a cry of pain from Jesus because Jesus, Paul was hurting the body of Christ, the body of Jesus on earth. Why are you persecuting me? Now Paul says, the one voice I want to hear now is the price of the same voice, upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul, Paul, calling out to me and the whole of heaven erupting. And that's the cry I want to hear. I don't know about you. What's the cry that you want to hear? You know what? Paul wants to hear the cry of, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. That's the cry I want to hear. And that's the cry we all want to hear. Don't be rare or medium rare or medium. Be well done. Can somebody say amen? In Jesus. 
The essential ingredient to winning the prize is grit. How do we get there? How do we win the prize? We need grit. Grit is the ability to tough it out when things get really tough and rough and to come through stronger than ever before. Don't belong to people or generation that's soft, that eats this nasty lemak, and you know, has no ability when things get tough to tough it out, to rough it out, and to come through stronger than before. Grit is that ability to finish well. And God will give you that grace if you look to Him. It's not by your strength, it's by His strength. When you are in a relationship and you hear His love voice to you, calling you, you will tough it out. There will be grit. Reminds me of a basketball coach whose team was losing because they were giving up. They were giving up. And so he called timeout and got them all together in an inspiration huddle to try to just, you know, stoke, you know, stoke them up so that they would not give up. He, as they crowded together, he shouted to them. He yelled, he yelled, did Muhammad Ali ever give up? They said, no. He said, did Tiger Woods ever give up? They said, no. He said, did Michael Jordan ever give up? They said, no. He said, did Elmer McAllister ever give up? And there was silence. Nobody had heard of Elmer McAllister before. And so the, the captain turned to the coach and coach, who is this guy? Uh, Elmer, what, what's his name? Elmer McAllister? We never heard of him. And the coach yelled at them, do you know why you never heard of him? He gave up. That's why. You want heaven to resound your name? Guys, don't give up. Jesus is with you. He will see you through your past. He will see you through your failures. He will see you through your present where you have pride and put your pride and your reputation and your accomplishments. Friends, in heaven, they count for nothing. How do I know that? Even on earth, they count for nothing. Why? You go to the graveyard, go to the cemetery. You will never see these names. Here lies Robert Jones. BSc, MSc, PhD. You never see that. University, you never see that. You never see somebody say, here lies Wong Angao. Net worth at death, 1.2 billion. You never see that. Every tombstone you see, just a name, the date, loved by so-and-so. Why? Because when we die, we are all at the same level, six feet underground. Same level. So don't put, put your past behind you. So live your life for this one thing. Forget your past achievements and failures. Learn submission. Somebody say amen. amen. Forgetting your past is learning submission. Forge to the future by maxing your life for God's glory. Have ambition. God's type of ambition. The ambition to make Christ great in your life. Focus on the price of Christ's, price of Christ's upward call. Carry in your heart determination. Not by your strength. By, by God's strength. He will give you the strength. Hear His voice. Look at His face. Know why you're running. And when things get rough, you will still focus on Him. You will renew your strength and mount up with wings like eagles. You carry determination. So one thing, my friends, is three things. Forget the past, forge the future, and fo focus on the price. What do they mean? Godly submission, godly ambition, and godly determination. These are the three things. And they are part and parcel of one thing. And as I close right now, I want to pray for each and every one of us. You know what? I know many of us have been listening uh, to this 
And I know that for each and every one of us, it means different things. You may have great achievements. You are now at a stage in your life where you have achieved a lot. Hey, friends, don't be proud. Don't rely on those things. Because when push comes to shove and you're before the King of Kings, they don't really count. What one thing have you lived for? Some of you, you had so many failures, you hardly even begun. You have every self guilt and your self accusation. Hey, guys, Jesus is here. He has paid the price for you on the cross. You live by grace, not by your strength. He has forgiven you and He will lead you through and He will see you through. Not only that, He will enable you to forget that past that holds you back and free you so that you can surge towards the present. Right now, where you are, whether you're seated in your room, whether you're watching it in a cafe, whether in your living room, wherever you are in your house, another city, another town, or even another country, I want to pray a prayer right now that every one of us, we will finish well. That the one thing in our lives will govern how well we run. Right now, I'm going to ask for a response. So can I ask us just to bow our heads, close our eyes right now where we are, as I close. How many of you today, Jesus, I just ask that you would touch every one of us. How many of you today, today you say, Lord, I've been running willy-nilly, I've running all over the place. No ambition, no godly ambition, just my own ambitions. No godly passion, just my own passion. Everywhere, how many of you right now, you want to recommit your life to the Lord and say, God, I want to run the race you have given me. I want you to raise up your hand just like that up to your hip so that at least I know. I see those virtual hands. Just raise it up right now. I see those virtual hands everywhere. And even in this sanctuary right now. How many of you, I want to ask again, if you say to God today, God, wherever you send me, wherever you lead me, whatever you tell me, I will do. I'm going to make it hard for people. Because you know, sometimes we just, oh, very easy. I, I determine what I want to do. But here you come to this point and you say, God, I surrender. It's about submission. Whatever you send me, Wherever you lead me, I will go. Whatever you ask me, I will do. I want to obey you. I may not have the ability right now and the strength, but I want to walk this journey to make you Lord of my life. And I want to obey you. So right now, if that's you to respond, lift up your hand right now, wherever you are. Because I want to pray for you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you love us. And today I see those hands lifted up. These are hands of commitment to you. These are hands that recognize that we are saved by grace. These are hands that recognize that we are not called to live by works, but we are called to live by obedience, by a fresh anointing from your life and grace drawing us through your love. And I pray for those hands that have been lifted up. Lord, you know, we are weak. We cannot by our own strength. Go where you know you want us to and do whatever you want us to, but we believe, we make that commitment to you. We won't run our race. We will run the race you have given to us. And I pray in Jesus' name that everyone here, everyone under the sound of my voice, hearing your word this morning, everyone will run and will finish well. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. I just sense the Holy Spirit here. God is doing healing right now amongst your midst as well. If you've got a need, just put your hand on that part of your body. And I pray in Jesus' name 
for God to meet that need in your body, in your family right now as well. As I close, I want to pray a final prayer for those of you who have never given your heart to Jesus. The Bible says, if we confess with our lips, Jesus is Lord, and believe in our hearts that God raised Him from the dead, we will be saved. So if you've never given your heart to the King of Kings, Jesus, the Lord and Savior, I ask that you join me in this prayer right now to commit your life to Him. Are you ready? Will you pray this prayer right now and God will come to you. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the fact that you died for me on the cross. Today, I open the door of my heart and I invite you in as my Lord and Savior. Today, I ask you, Lord, to lead me from this day onwards as your follower, as your disciple. For with my mouth, I confess, Jesus, you are Lord. And with my, mouth, with my heart, I believe you raised from the dead from my sins. I thank you, Jesus, that today I'm born again as your son and daughter. I'm born again to a new beginning. I give you praise and I give you thanks as I begin running the race with you. Because I know at the end, you will say to me, well done, good and faithful servant. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, it's been a tremendous privilege and a joy ministering to you today. I trust you've been blessed by the word. And I trust that each and every one of us will run well and finish the race well. Remember the one thing that God needs for our lives. I'll see you again next week. God bless you all. Bye for now. Take care and have a great week. Amen. Thanks for listening. This is the Skyline SIB podcast and stay tuned for the next episode. Visit our website at www.skylinesib.com and say hello. Drop us a prayer request or leave us a question. Want to know what's up and coming with our church? Follow us on Instagram, Facebook and YouTube. It's Skyline SIB. Let's connect. God bless and have a great week.